Hello there and welcome to The Two Trees. I'm John Dillon and I'm here with Martin Listener. Hey all. With two new voices that you don't know but are very good friends of mine. Uh, Dwayne Wilson. Howdy. And Jonah Longender. For, for, for. Is that is that close? Greetings. It's better than many other attempts. Uh, Longenderfer. Langenderfer. 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 He's a really good friend. We, we definitely know close. his name and everything. But the uh, the times where I've needed to use your last name is pretty much zero. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Just now I realize that I don't know how to say your last name. Mm-hmm. But uh, Jonah is the pastor of a church just down the road from me, and Dwayne is too. And uh, on Mondays... I have to we, hang out with Jacob. Yeah, that's really rough. He works with yeah. Jacob at uh, uh, the Chicken on the Vine, or Nuggets on the Vine is the name of their church, or should have been the name you of their wish. church. I, we all voted for it. I but. did. I, I, I think my vote was disregarded because I don't go there or something like that. <laughs> but you guys have been a huge blessing to me. We gather on oh, Mondays, man. a bunch of pastors, and we eat pizza, and we just are around each other and enjoy talking with one another, and that's part of the way that this podcast came to be. And so everybody else is in the house over there, and we're out in the barn, and we thought we would bring to you uh, a late-night edition of The Two Trees. So excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. Dwayne is my favorite heretic of of all the heretics I know. We argue (laughs) back and forth about lots of things, uh, but I appreciate both of your love of Jesus and of ministry, and I'm blessed to have you guys here. Uh, things have been wild for me. This week has just been nuts. My my wife gave birth to a healthy, bouncing baby boy and uh, and then immediately had quite a few health complications and has been in the hospital. And uh, so I had to really step up my dad game. And um, I am struggling to, mm-hmm. to be the father figure and uh, that I should be. But uh, God has just blessed us, and she's getting better, and the baby is healthy, and and I just wanted to stop and thank the Lord for that. We were supposed to have our friend Josh Stedman on here from uh, Answers to Giant Questions, and uh, and we will be talking to him soon, but I called him and was like, man, I just can't do an interview today. I'm heading to the hospital. And he was really understanding and more or less said, you ruined my life, never talk to me again. But uh, I'm, he's willing to, he didn't say that. He's a really nice guy. But uh, we are, we're still carrying on our conversation about, uh, about um, angels and demons, the weird corners of the Bible. And uh, we're, we're getting ready to wrap up really our thoughts on territorial spirits. We'll have some more thoughts there. But um, if you are enjoying our podcast, won't you share it on social media? Let your friends know. Uh, it, unless you like, you know, you think we suck and then don't because we don't want those negative reviews. Uh, but if you do enjoy it, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, and and it really helps us get uh, the message of the two trees out there. And uh, and so I'm having a, a good time. I, so my life has pretty much been changing stinky diapers and trying to get my wife to doctor's appointments and things. What, what's What's been going on with you guys? Well, I kind of deal with that too because I deal with the public a lot. So um, you call it stinky diapers. I call it stinky attitudes. But, you know, it's all about the same. But uh, been pretty busy at work the last couple of days. And uh, it's been nice talking to some other people kind of in the same field as me um, that have this similar type of idea that I have. So I work for the judicial system, I guess you could say, in the court. Fighting house. crime. Yeah. Uh, one paper at a you time. A cape? <laughs> yeah, one hole punch at a time. I'm fighting crime. Can you give us your Batman right voice? Uh, no, I can't disclose my true identity. So um, we'll keep idea. going from that. But <laughs> but uh, anyway, it's just it's nice to know that you know even in 
places where there seems to be a lot of negativity and stuff, there are some uh, lights that are shining through. So um, I have a couple guys that I can talk with at work and just talk about stuff that is not really what you would be thinking about at work. And uh, and a lot of it revolves around this podcast and just being able to share ideas about you know spiritual things and and uh, help along my journey as well. So it's it's really a cool thing that even surrounded by negativity or darkness, if you will, there's uh, always some lights that are shining through. And that's been a big positive for me to, to be like, hey, no matter what, if you're sharing the light of Jesus, somebody's going to be able to see that through that. So um, I just was reminded of that in the last couple of days because it's been so kind of crazy at work and you get lost in that. And I, I call it distracted away from uh, what you're supposed to be focusing on. And it's cool to be able to refocus on that. So I just wanted to share a little bit about that, even though it's been kind of hectic. It's, no, that's it's cool. Nice most, to be most people's work experience doesn't focus on that. You know, there's that guy that, oh no, he's going to talk to me again and he's so annoying or such a downer. To be around people who are really a blessing mm-hmm. is unusual. And But I think that's part of what God called us to be as, you know, trees in his garden that are a blessing. To, to sit by and to be with rather than to be a, a source of constant negativity is a, is a purposeful choice. Uh, so, Dwayne, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit? Uh, our, our friends don't know you. I know you. You are the great bearded one, uh, and uh, I am the, the lesser beard. Oh, but uh, tell, tell me, <laughs> tell the up, people John. about you. Yeah, so, um, uh, man, it's been over 30 years of ministry, John. Can you imagine that? I mean... Uh, uh, a lot of different places, a lot of different spaces, and and uh, Lord's brought me here in this uh, really, I think, a special group of guys. You mentioned our Monday night group, and um, I've been in the area for quite some time. Uh, you guys are all the newbies, uh, but um, it's it, the energy that you guys have brought to our communities here up and down the Stillwater River uh, has been uh, just amazing, really. And, and Jonah's probably kind of the newest guy in the group uh, to the area. I think Jonah and I came about the same oh, time. Did you? What, how, is this your third year or fourth year? Three and a half, so 2019 Thanksgiving. Okay, so right I'm, I'm one before you. So. Yeah, I mm-hmm. thought there was a little mm-hmm. bit of time. You and me, man, we're holding down the bottom <laughs> of the barrel. Mm-hmm. So, Jonah, how old were you when Dwayne started in ministry, I think would maybe be the best way to introduce you. <laughs> on this. I don't think I've ever shared my... <laughs> <laughs> age, yeah. I, I actually, so I just, I had a birthday last week. This oh, last yeah, Wednesday, yeah. May 31st. Oh, another I trip around the sun. Yeah. Turned 31. I, so. uh, I did one of my favorite things that evening. I hung out with my boys and played five and five basketball uh, out in the that court in, uh, right by Newton. Wait, there aren't you your boys like two years old? Well, they, they sat inside. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, but, he uh, hung out with them like, as yeah, they watched. I was like, hey, yeah, go play, go play in the park while I get my, uh, so my, put, my basketball in. To put mm-hmm. that in perspective, then, I was uh, doing uh, Sunday services on the USS Boise when he was born. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So uh-huh. you are the tallest submariner that, that is maybe a naval record, right? Were uh, there any submarine... Yeah, uh, I had uh, Dave Brown taller was than you? six foot seven, so he had me by a couple inches. But oh, yeah, man. not too many guys. My are you six five? Uh, not so much anymore. Okay. But I, I was. He's been slouching to, for a while. <laughs> starting to, starting to lose. A Gravity's bit of that. winning. Yeah. Did you ever play basketball back in the day? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, up into mm-hmm. high school, but yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. But yeah, things uh, things have been weird all yeah. all around the board. Jonah is uh, is is a good friend of mine. We meet mm-hmm. every week, and we're reading right now through Out of the Silent Planet. Yeah, uh, C.S. Wow. Lewis. So mm. I'm ready to talk about chapters yes. five and six. By the way, uh-huh. uh, so we're not going to awesome. do that today. But we we kind of <laughs> get together and have coffee and do that. But uh, uh, what we're going to do today is we're we're going to jump into the New Testament. 
because again, our, our purpose here is is to show you Jesus, as Deuteronomy ten seventeen describes him: the Lord your God is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, mighty and awesome. And there are wonderful stories in the Old Testament that highlight this fact. But one of the the clearest places in the Bible that shows us territorial spirits and Jesus's power over spirits uh, comes out of the books of the the Gospels. Uh, and so what we're going to do is we're, we're going to start in the, the book of Luke. Hey, thanks. Jacob just showed up and brought me a coffee. God bless him. And cookies. And cookies. I'll pass on the cookies, but I'll take the coffee. And, uh, and so what we're going to do is we're going to kind of look at some of these verses here, but we're, we're going to look at the temptation story. And uh, the temptation story occurs after Jesus's baptism, uh, after he has really begun his, his ministry, John the Baptist calls out and says, man, this is the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. And from that point on, it's really game on. The ministry of yeah. Jesus is in full flex and show here. And his very first uh, event that happens is he's driven by the Lord's Spirit into the wilderness, which is where you would expect a, a religious story to encounter um, territorial spirits, evil evil beings, because mm -hmm. in ancient mm -hmm. writings, uh, that's that's how you talked about it. And so it, it highlights it through the setting and the text. And, and so if one of you guys would take just verses uh, Luke chapter 4, verses 5 through 8... Uh, and then we'll we'll chat about it. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So what you have here is a stylized temptation. There are three events that center around the quotation of Scripture. And if you guys are hearing noises in the background, there's people coming in and out and they're chatting. But this is what happens on Mondays, and so here we go. So what's going on is that Jesus is showing that he is capable of overpowering the temptation. Mm-hmm. And in the Gospel of Mark, when it talks about this, it does it in a really strange way. It talks about Jesus being in the wilderness with the wild animals, which kind of gives it this Adam and Eve vibe, the last mm -hmm. time the mm -hmm. Son of Man or the Son of God, Jesus, um, or the, the representative of Jesus, Adam, is, is facing the serpent, he fails. And he only faces one temptation. And he is uh, really surrounded by food and has the ability to eat whatever he wants. And here Jesus hasn't eaten anything and has the ability to eat these things. And so he's, he's being tempted by Satan. And there's this really interesting line in verse 5 that's really going to move into our topic of territorial spirits. And it says the devil, uh, which means you know the, the adversary, this is a spiritual being, took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Mm. Now, that's an interesting phrase. What do you think it means by it took him up? Like, are we talking about uh, like a, a mountain? Because there are no mountains big enough to see all the nations of the mm. world. And, and I don't know how you would recognize them if you did see them. Like, there's not actual giant signs that say, you know, now entering, well, there are now, but there, there weren't at the time. Uh, and so this is this is an interesting line, but it, it continues that literary structure of being lifted up, mm -hmm. of the Son of mm -hmm. Man being lifted up, mm -hmm. and in this case, it's a it's a temptation, 
and he's shown something that Satan believes or the devil believes is his. And he says, I will give all of the authority and their glory to you because it's been delivered to me. Uh, what do you guys make of that? And also, John, there, he says, uh, I give it to whom I will. That stood out to me this time for some reason. Yeah, how come, do you think? Uh, I, I I think I was so focused on what he was telling Jesus uh, for many years now, um, but this level of deception that I will give it to whom I will, the, the, the amount of belief that the adversary had that he had this and that he could lord it over Christ. Mm. I mean, his how... Uh, if you will, almost how deceived he was, perhaps, mm. in his own understanding of what power he did have. And uh, I don't know. I don't. Other than that, I don't know why that stood out this time. Well, but, and, and if you think about it, like there, there is a sense in which the consequences of sin, what, what nation has not been swept up by the consequences of sin? That, that he's feeling pretty, uh, his pretty good about his, uh, his, his record at this point. Right? Runs far and wide, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, and and the creatures of darkness are being worshipped, and in mm-hmm. many places are still being worshipped. Uh, but but there's this sense here of ownership, uh, a sense of kingdom uh, that that he says is this is mine, mm-hmm. uh, and and that isn't something that Satan makes up. And Jesus doesn't look at him and say that's not yours, you know that's that's ridiculous. Of course, this all belongs to God. But this is a kingdom in rebellion. That's right. Against God. Mm-hmm. Now, Jesus is the one true king, uh, the once and future king, uh, to steal an Arthurian mm-hmm. line there. But there, there's this sense of which there is a bit of the unseen realm's politics being presented to us. And there aren't a whole lot of places where we get something like that. Right. Uh, the book of Daniel gives us mm-hmm. some of that. You get like the Prince of Persia, Deuteronomy 32, that talks about the nations of the world being divided up. Uh, but for the most part, it's it's invisible. It, it's not something that we're seeing. But when Satan is talking about this here, he he says, "This is mine." Mm-hmm. And and what Jesus's response to it here is is really interesting. Uh, will, will you read verse seven again? If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. So that's what he wants. Mm-hmm. I want mm-hmm. you to worship me, mm-hmm. because there are already humans on the earth who are worshiping him. And now we have like the expression, like you know, he's a devil worshiper or something like that. But most people aren't devil worshippers. And if you went back in time and you're trying to find, like, where were the satanic cults in ancient Rome, you're not going to find them. They they didn't label themselves this way. But Satan seems to be saying that worship that is supposed to be directed to the Most High has been curved towards the powers of darkness. And he desires not only for the world of the physical to worship him, but also for the heavens themselves to worship him. Now, the Bible, we talked about the I wills of Satan in a previous episode, but he he makes it very clear what he wants is to be lifted up above all the other stars. He wants to be the center, the most power to replace God. And Jesus' response to him is, is, I think, beautiful. Will you give me verse 8 again? And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So the, what, how do you take that, Martin? Like, what's your takeaway from reading Jesus's response there? Because he doesn't say, you can't give me that, it's not yours. Well, you know, uh, for me, I'm always trying to understand what it is. And, and realistically, what I what I look for, and I know I shouldn't do this, but I, I look for the motives behind it. Mm-hmm. Like you mentioned the I will. Satan wants to be above all the other stars. He's willing to give up everything that he has just for one thing, which is Jesus to worship him, right? Mm-hmm. And so Jesus has to have the inclination of like, 
I am so important that Satan is going to give up everything at the same time being completely humble in this situation, right? Like, like Jesus is the prize, the only thing that Satan wants and needs. And yet he answers him not in a way of like, look how good I am that you want me. He just says, this is what my dad told me, and I'm going to listen to that. So yeah. it's like he knows that he's what he wants. He's the, the ultimate prize. He's the Super Bowl trophy. And yet he responds with this idea of like, no, I'm going to do what I was told by my father. What's your thoughts there, Jonah? Give us the brethren perspective. <laughs> hmm. Uh, some of the brethren perspective. I don't know. Give us the Jonah perspective. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. I, I guess you don't have we to just, speak for we, all your we people. We just uh, we just tell you what we see, uh, and it just looks like uh, he's quoting back what he rehearsed his whole life. Shema, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, his whole life, he was raised to there is one God. Love God with all your heart and soul and strength, and he was relying on what the scriptures. Well, and I think that's that's mm-hmm. the purpose of the scriptures is, mm-hmm. is God has given them to us, not only to teach us things, but to f- defend us against things. That they are to yeah. be handholds when when you're climbing, when when things are mm-hmm. pulling against you. There's something to hold on to. Yeah, sword of the spirit. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Dwayne. Yeah. Also, the thing that stands out to me there is the is the in Christ's response there. He says, "You shall worship." The Lord your God and Him only shall you serve, and He's separating that worship and serve. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, Satan had asked Him there for His worship, but not His service. Yeah, it's getting a little bit particular, but yeah. um, you know, I, I think sometimes we use those terms synonymously. But this this idea of worship, I just happened to be looking at this this week as in sermon prep, and and there's not many wor- there's not a whole lot of words for worship. Mm-hmm. There's a Hebrew and a Greek word that are primarily used for worship, and it's a prostrating oneself before mm-hmm. another being. And 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 he was looking now, you know, the I guess the the expected response to that kind of worship is that you would serve, but in, in this instance, it's it's really that submission that he was wanting to take what which was God's and bring it subservient to himself. That was going back to your point. Martin, that you know, there was there was something that uh, the adversary was after, and mm-hmm. it's that submission of the Christ to Himself rather than to the Father. Yeah, and I I really love C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity when he talks about this, and he describes it in terms of the there's a rebellion against the rightful King, mm-hmm. and the King has come back, he's landed, as it were, and that everyone is being asked to rally to the King. And so Satan sets himself up here and says, hey, <clears throat> you've come to rescue the nations. What if I just gave them to you? What if I traded earthly power for heavenly power? What if we do a deal right here and I just give it to you and I give you the authority that I've taken and I give you the power that I've snatched away? And Jesus's response isn't seeming to be, oh, that's a really good deal. Let me think about that. In his response, you get the heart of the response against a territorial spirit, and that is that it is a rebel against a far greater power. He doesn't look at Satan as a, a rival, but as, I've, I've not come for you to give me anything, buddy. I'm going to take it, and the authority is going to be mine, and we see that. So wouldn't you think that Satan knows that the power that he wields, the earthly power that he wields, it doesn't really match up to what Jesus wields. 
or God he, the Most High has. So yeah, does, does and, Satan go into this knowing that he has not very much bargaining power here? Well, I think he thinks the last time that uh, there was a man, right? So he, he was he was able to to do this, and so, God has placed Himself here as a man. And I, I this had never happened before. It's easy for us to look back at this and think, well, why didn't Satan know this? Satan is trying to figure out. I don't think he expected this to go down this way at all. So he's banking on Jesus as humanity. Yeah, and I think the book of Revelation chapter 12 gives an instance of this. Satan has just gone through what I I think there's a rebellion in the heavens that takes place just before the birth of Jesus, and we can argue about that later if you like, but I I think that Revelation 12 points to this. And Satan is is on the back foot. He's not sure what's going on. And so he's relying on old faithful here as, mm -hmm. as a tempter. And it's why I mentioned earlier. I think he was so deceived in his own mm. uh, accomplishments that uh, he he was he he was offensive here. You know, he was on the offensive. Now that line, the authority, the glory, I'll let you have it, is used by Jesus at the very end of the Gospels, and it's brought back into play in Matthew chapter twenty-eight in what we call mm-hmm. the Great Commission. And so, if one of you guys, Dwayne, would you mind reading <clears throat> Matthew twenty-eight eighteen through twenty? And, and then I want you guys to listen for that line there again that reminds you of, of what Satan is doing. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So I want you to think about this phrase, not just in the sense of we need missionaries out there preaching the gospel, which is true, we do. We, we need the word of God to go out there, but thinking of it in, in the, the prism of, not prison, but the prism of uh, territorial spirits, that there have been people groups enslaved in spiritual bondage, and that there is an active, intelligent enemy arrayed against the children of Adam and Eve. And what Jesus does here is not just uh, a good deed, but it is the delivery of the slaves from a spiritual power. And look at how he phrases that. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's almost as though, he says, you know, Satan offered it and I punched him in the face and I took it is the idea, the the gathering of the keys of hell, mm-hmm. uh, that there's this sense not of uh, negotiation but of conquest that's taken place. And it reminds me of the Dagon story where they take the Ark of the Covenant oh, right. into the Temple of Dagon, and Dagon is broken. That, that seems to be along the lines of what happened uh, to the powers of darkness here. And then he says, go, therefore, and make disciples of where? All. All the nations, and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's this sense in which what has been happening on a local level explodes onto the global scene. And now those territorial spirits are, are again, defeated. They're pushed back, and the gospel, the kingdom of God, has not come from heaven to one people group and from that people group out into the world I see this in terms of God and his spiritual conquest of the nations is beautiful. Or uh, the parallel back to the garden, right? Oh, yeah. In that we are we are talking about the spread of, of Eden spiritually, be fruitful, multiply. This this yeah. commission is no different 
than the first commission given in Genesis 1 to humanity. Mm. Be fruitful, multiply, and replenish. And But it's it has a spiritual uh, tone to it here, if you will. Oh, for sure. What do you think, Jonah? Mm-hmm. What, what jumps the, out at you there? And to, well, to piggyback on Genesis, our original mission, be fruitful and multiply, as the image of God to spread God's reign. That's right. From the very beginning. Yeah. yeah. Our mm-hmm. our little circle here talks about this fairly often. We don't think be fruitful and multiply means just have lots of babies. No. <laughs> Although I did just have a baby, so I see myself as having but accomplished I, this. Yeah. Uh, I've replaced... We have two kids, Matthew and my son, Patrick. And so now when I die, there will be two more Dylans. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I feel like I've given the world a great blessing. You're welcome. <laughs> you have. Uh, yeah. But uh, what we see here is there's more to that than just being alive, that we are made to image God. We are to be uh, trees by the river, as the uh-huh. psalmist talks about, uh, the very first psalm, that you are to make the world better. Your neighborhood should be better and safer and happier because it has you in it. Your church should be a force of love and compassion and mercy mm-hmm. and hope. And those are not words that many lost people associate with church. They're things that are really common in ideas, but acting it out happens through the mm-hmm. power of Jesus and through his kingdom. That's right. And so seeing this, I think, gives us a, a beginning framework here to, to look at. What has Jesus done? He has taken something. From Satan. This isn't a passive thing. It's not just Jesus saying, but I've always been God. There was an action that Jesus did here. I don't know exactly how that looks, but it's intriguing to me. It's interesting to me that it it happened through death. That's what Yeah, through the cross. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have this Mm -hmm. like complete submission in the physical to the point of death, but yet this power, the resurrecting power mm. that Christ is this first expression mm. of that, um, you know, like we, I think in our natural sense, we want this warrior to come in and punch Satan in the face right from the get-go, right? Yeah. But he has this almost calm interaction with him in the in the desert. Um, it is really calm, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like you to don't the... get Jesus being like, I brought this little vial of holy oil, <laughs> and you didn't see it. Actually, the, the, the psalm that Satan quotes at the end uh, is Psalm 91, and that's one of the exorcism psalms Mm. that Satan is Uh quoting there. That would have been like if you had gone to see a Jewish exorcist, that was one of the psalms that they would read over a demonic person. And here Satan's like, I memorized this, man. I I know this one. (laughs) Uh, And it's interesting to me because it shows you how this was playing out in real time, that this wasn't just an idea but that Jesus was struggling against the spiritual powers of darkness, and he defeated them. And that when salvation comes to me, there is no territorial spirit that's able to say, no, he belongs to me. No, you can't save that girl because there's a curse on her and her family. They belong to us. The blood of Jesus mm-hmm. is unstoppably powerful. There is no force in hell that is capable to separate you from the God who came to bring you back. And so when you look at this, you can kind of get a couple glimpses of it in the ministry of Jesus. Because when when you read the Old Testament, you don't find a lot of demon-possessed people. It's it's a pretty rare thing. There, mm-hmm. The word demon does occur a couple times, but it's it's not it's not real common. When you get to Jesus's ministry, like it's like there's possessed people everywhere. Like what happened? 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I personally think that when Jesus came to the earth, the power of darkness assembled to resist what was happening. The rightful king had landed, and there was a, a, a definite satanic attempt to resist what was happening. Mm-hmm. And you, you get these glimpses of territorial spirits, of demonic powers, being almost like they surrounded the threat. Uh, but you don't get any instances where Jesus was like, I really got to call up some air support you know, to get rid of these. Jesus is just wandering delivery out there. And wherever he goes, you get these little pockets of Eden. There's abundance of food. Well, we only have a couple fish and these little loaves of bread. And Jesus is like, no, 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 just pass it out. Mm-hmm. And suddenly you see there's abundance. There's, there's wherever he goes, there's healing, there's, there's wisdom, there's, there's truth that's preached, there's relationships that's healed, there's even uh, wonderful wine that appears at a wedding. There, there's this wonderful sense of deliverance all over the Jesus story. And we're going to look at, at two of these today as we, as we look at what Jesus is doing. So the, the major, the big scheme here is what we just talked about, that Jesus is taking from Satan the authority that he claimed that he had over the earth. And and that in many, the Bible does talk about him as the God of this world. There is a sense in which he has power. I'm I'm not denying that, but not in the sense that he's a rival to the Lord of Lords, the God of gods, any more than he was in in Exodus. He's going to be defeated. So let's let's jump now to uh, the book of Luke, and this is chapter four in the book of Luke 31 through 37. Jonah, do you mind running us through that? Mm Mm-hmm. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. Okay, we're going to stop there. Now, an unclean demon, uh, you would ask, you know, are there other kinds? <laughs> Is there like a, a special uh, variety that's here? Uh, and I don't think so. I think this is just a way of emphasizing that this is a creature of the darkness. This is an evil being. Now, it is true that in Greek cultures, the word demon was used just to refer to a spiritual being. And so you will get that from from the Greek culture. But this is a, a Jewish event in the city of Capernaum. This is a very Jewish place. And so it's using this expression of the unclean spirit and it's residing in a man who is attending the church service. He's in the synagogue. He's listening to Jesus preach. Uh, that's not where you would expect to find a demonically possessed person. You know, sitting comfortably, they're listening to Jesus. But when he hears, and you get the idea like it's almost like randomly in the service. It doesn't go like immediately when he, when he sees this, like he tries to hide and this is, but there comes a point where he can't anymore, and the demon cries out with a loud voice. And we pick it up there, thirty-four. Yeah, that'd be a weird interruption to a sermon. Or, or, yeah, I'm glad <laughs> I've never had one like that. Yeah. And he cried out with a loud voice, "Ha! What do you? What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God." But Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. Now, this is interesting. A couple things here. What do you notice when you're reading this? There's a, there's a couple oddities here, and I'm, I'm curious to see what you guys pick up. Have you come to destroy us is the first thing that 
gets me. He wants yeah, to know what, what Jesus is doing here. This like, demon assumes that Jesus is there to do what? Like take him out. Like fight. kill him, fight him, something. Which is interesting because it's the same thing that Dwayne kind of brought up. He's like, We want this warrior to come down and punch these guys in the face. And yeah. it's almost like that's what they're expecting too. So it's like, you know, are we kind of on the same feeble thinking level as them is like, come on and just squish them and get it over with. But Jesus has bigger plans, right? Bigger fish to fry, if you will. But that, that's the same thing that came to me is like, this guy's kind of scared. Like, what are you doing here? Yeah. And, and you would assume that it would go the other way. For instance, I just said, you know, I'm glad this has never happened to me because my encounters with things that are are, are spiritually like that, they're frightening to me. Mm-hmm. I, I, I do think they are because they're, they're not naturally yeah. part of my day to day. Here though, the spirit is scared of Jesus. And I think that tells you about everything you need to know about mm-hmm. a territorial spirit. This guy is, I mean, it's pretty bold to like be like, you know what, dude? Let's go to the church service. Let's face off with this guy. I want to look that prophet in the eye. And then he gets in there and he realizes this isn't a prophet. And he says, I know who you are. You, this is not whoa this i am outclassed here this is and he he immediately is like whoa are you here to destroy and then he says us mm-hmm. he's not speaking uh, of a singular being here there is a sense of there's plurality and and you're going to see that again in another story the demons don't seem to always work on an individual basis and so a lot of people try to say is there a one to one correspondence between the ancient gods, and was there a demon really called Beelzebul or uh, Baal or, or whatever? And, and I want to emphasize this again. What you're getting there is the propaganda that the darkness is peddling. There, We don't know that. We, we don't know that. We do know that there are demonic beings who created their own stories, and they presented themselves this way. We don't know the name of this demon we, or demons, but we do know his loyalty is not to Jesus, and he's not interested in switching sides. He's not asking for mercy here. He is straight up just demanding to know what's going to happen to him. And uh, and he says, you know, Jesus' answer to him is shut up. It's, it's this really strong language, you know, be silent and come out of him. And then it says that's what he did. How about the fact that he... The truth that he does speak is that thou art the Holy One of God. Mm. There's another instance with Paul where this happens, where Paul is preaching, and there's a woman who has a spirit in her, and uh, she is going around behind them and is more or less endorsing their their ministry. And Paul loses it, and he's like, you know, just shut up and come out of her. And, and there's the sense in which, you know, why? You know, wh- these beings are recognizing something that the spiritual community of Israel was unable to see, that Jesus was not just a man, but he was the King of Kings. He was the Lord of Lords. But the enemy isn't interested here in, um, in apologizing or, or any of that. They, they continue to, to be at war. And the people that look at this, they look at him, uh, would you pick up there in verse uh, 36? And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And the surrounding region is, again, that territorial Mm -hmm. concept that the word had gone out, 
that this was not just a rabbi. This was something very different, very strange. And the supernatural world was under his command, that he was capable of delivering people from the power. Now, the most famous of these stories is going to be centered on the Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee is not a really big uh, sea. Uh, it's, a, it's a big lake is what it is. You can see all the way across it. Um, and so if you're, if you're out on the lake, it's not difficult to see from one side to the other. Uh, when we were there, we talked uh, to quite a few people who are out on the lake pretty often. And, and they told us a couple really interesting things. They said that the lake doesn't really get big waves. It gets little waves that move really fast. The winds are the danger on the sea, not the waves necessarily crashing. Because when I read this, I thought like, you know, the Atlantic Ocean or, you know, there's this tidal wave coming in. And then you look at it and you're like, well, I'm not sure how this would work. But uh, on this lake, there was a sense in which water is a picture in the scripture of death. And Jesus crosses this this place and there's a great storm that rises up and everyone's worried the boat's going to sink. And Jesus demonstrates his power by saying, peace, be still, and the disciples marvel. It's almost the exact same phrasing that's used just before here, that he's capable of commanding and the elements of the earth obey. And then in the book of Mark chapter 5, we get the story of the demon called Legion. Now, the gospel of Mark is my favorite of the gospels, and it is really rapid fire. You have all these little scenes, and they happen really fast. And what you're supposed to ask at the end of them is, who is this guy? It gives you a a, a vision, a picture of who Jesus is without really telling you who Jesus is. And you're supposed to ask yourself at the end of each one, who is this? And so Jesus has just calmed the storm on the sea, and he has gone across to the place uh, called uh, Gerasim. Now, in the Sea of Galilee... It was the very border, the edge of Jewish-occupied territory. One side of the lake was Jewish, Mm -hmm. and it's where a a major road called the Way of the Sea uh, ran. And you have places like Capernaum, and there's a lot of people living there. Uh, On the southern edge of of the lake is a huge Roman garrison called Tiberius, and on the other side of the lake is Gentile territory. There's a big city over there. Uh, that is one of the Decapolis cities. And there's a lot of Gentile people living over there. And it's it's connected to Bashan, to this area of darkness in Canaanite lore as well. And so Jesus really shouldn't be going over there, but he does. And you have to ask yourself why. Jesus has a tendency of putting himself in places where he shouldn't be to make a point, like with Caesarea Philippi. He's purposefully put himself there to make a power statement. And he gets in the boat and they sail across the way. And so they're going into a place that is associated with death, is associated with the Gentile community. And so the disciples are thinking to themselves, this is not going to go well. And they've just gone through a harrowing event. And so let's take a look at chapter 5, verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. So now, just a few pages ago, we had an unclean spirit in the church service. Yep. Now, that seems weird to me, but this one makes more sense. There is a man living among the dead. 
and probably he's been involved in demonic uh, worship. He's been calling out to the dead. He's been worshiping the dead. He's been cutting himself and offering blood. Uh, There's a sense of witchcraft that's involved in this story here. But as soon as Jesus's feet touch the ground, this guy comes screaming out of the tombs, out of the caves that are on the hillside. Keep going. And he lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. So I want you to imagine that you are a fisherman in the Sea of Galilee. Do you think you would have heard this? Oh, I think so. I think mm-hmm. so. Like mm-hmm. when we were there, my, my I know sailors yeah, talk. They talk, yeah. So um, when we were there, my uh, my buddies are are over here, and there Jacob is here, and then uh, Jeremy as well. Jeremy, you remember when we were at the Sea of Galilee, and every night we could hear the music from across the water. The noise carries. Now I want you to imagine that you're fishing at night, which is when they did a lot of their fishing, and when you get close to the shore on that side you hear something coming out of the caves. There's a wild demon-possessed man up there, and he's screaming and he's running. This would have been something. They knew that there was a guy over there, and he was not a, like, this is, I refuse to believe that no one knew about this. Mm-hmm. It's the best-kept secret on the Gentile side. Evidently, the there had been quite a few people that had tried to subdue him. Yeah, and there's supernatural strength. That you, this is a real thing. Okay, it's not it's not an imaginary part of of this, but there is a sense in which he was breaking shackles in pieces, and night and day he was among the tombs. You'll notice that it, it says it that way: night uh, and day, uh, and he is on the mountains and crying out and cutting himself with stones. Uh, and then verse six, and when he had saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. Now Jacob preached on this at my church on Sunday, and he brought up a really interesting point. Do you think? that it is the man running to Jesus? Or is this the demons compelling the man to run to Jesus? So when you read this, what's your initial feeling, like without worrying about whether it's right or wrong, because the text doesn't say, do you get the sense that this is a demonic uh, response to Jesus or that this human is responding to Jesus? I, I think traditionally, I've—I uh, shouldn't say traditionally, but as I've read it through the years, I've most most of the time I've assumed that it was the demon. I don't know that that's correct. I mean, that's a great question, Jacob. You're getting all kinds of props tonight, but I have kind of <laughs> I have kind of mixed emotions about it because when you read verse six, to me that seems like it's the man. Mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. runs and falls yeah. down at his and feet, he, like he saw the man. I, saw I I need help or whatever, but. Everything else is the demon talking to Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. It's the same kind of interaction with the the church. So it's uh, in verse seven. We'll get to it, but it says, "What are you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God?" So it, it's the demon that's wanting to talk to Jesus. It sounds like, but verse six indicates like this is the man crying out for help, like, "Hey, get this thing away from me," or, or whatever. That's just my first initial thought. But so I, I don't know what what made the physical body walk over to Jesus in that manner. But yeah, I don't have an answer either. I want to say Jacob it's the man. asked it in his sermon, and I thought we'd throw it out there to everybody. It seems more like a redemptive quality if it's the man. You know, like it's it's the. I will say that if you are involved in a demonic possession scenario, uh, the or if you're afraid that something is happening to you, I, I want to be pretty clear here that the most important person is 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 the person who's suffering. 
you don't have to suffer. You don't have to be in bondage to that spirit, no matter what lie it tells you. Mm-hmm. The, the forgiveness of God is there for you, but you have to be willing to receive it, to accept the forgiveness of God, that you, you are, you matter, you're special, that Jesus died on the cross for you. And this man, this Gentile crazy guy up in the caves is special enough that Jesus makes a trip over there just, just to have this, this encounter with him. Uh, and so whether the demons compel him to go there or whether he comes on his own, I don't really know. My gut feeling said the demonic powers were, were rushing kind of to defend their coastline. Uh, but, be, um, yeah. but when they get there, they surrender. Their, their immediate mm-hmm. reaction is there, there's no fight. There's no wielding of magic. There's no throwing down the staves like we saw in the Exodus story. There's just complete surrender. When the king arrives... And uh, he asks it its name. Now, this is this is interesting well, because he didn't do this before. You had a thought, Jonah? Yeah, one thing that I thought of was, uh, I know you guys like Bible Project. And this is where I first heard this from. Because uh, I don't really, I, I usually don't think of this question, oh, is it the man or is it the demon? But I was immediately reminded of, I first heard this from on the Bible Project podcast. When you go back to Genesis 3, uh, when... You have the characters of the serpent and humanity, uh, and humanity are they're deceived mm-hmm. by the serpent. He said this thought: if you just read it naturally without reading the tradition, because the tradition first is that oh, Satan fell sometime, and then he deceived humanity, mm-hmm. and they fell later. But Mackie was arguing: it, just if you just read it as it is, it kind of lends towards a reading. There's kind of like a joint fall and a co-rebellion mm. between humanity and spiritual beings even right. at the same, like right. same time. I don't think that this mm-hmm. man who is in the caves is there because the demons took him over and he was a really nice guy before that. Uh-huh. It, it just doesn't work that way. This man seems to have been involved in necromancy. He's, he's, mm-hmm. he's living and dwelling and worshiping among the tombs. Um, and so I, I do think that so it's like, you're, the, yeah, I think so, that so John Milton's, both? John mm-hmm. Milton wrote a really mm-hmm. great book, Paradise Lost is Killer. If you haven't read it, you should. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just the theology I don't think fits the, the biblical framework as well. Uh, if you go to Revelation 12, this isn't in our notes, but it says, now a war arose in heaven and Michael and his archangel and his angels fighting against the dragon and the dragon fought back, but he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil, and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And then you get this, this really clear statement in verse 10. It says, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. This, I don't think, happens in prehistory. I think this is connected to the to the birth of Jesus. Yeah, and we can have a, a discussion on that completely if you'd like to, um, but um, but it's weird, and I like it. So. <laughs> that, that <laughs> we don't have a three-hour uh, podcast. No, no, no. <laughs> That's almost like parallel to the line in Luke. Uh, I saw Satan fall like lightning. Like that? Mm-hmm. Then also, because it's like... Cause for us in our circles, like so often we think of kingdom, we think of, oh, that's only future. That's right. future promise coming. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and so I'm always keying in on the texts that indicate no. in some sense it's already here. And so there's one line in Luke 
where Jesus is casting out demons. He says, if, if I'm casting out demons, the kingdom is in your midst. Right. Mm. The, so, yeah, mm-hmm. the kingdom of God is within you, mm-hmm. he says. Mm-hmm. And, and the kingdom exists already. Wherever, right. wherever God is, he is the king. This place is in rebellion against him. But when you declare your loyalty to the Lord, when, when you go and you accept Christ as your Savior, you are an extension of that kingdom. You're living in exile here. But really, you're, you're kind of like the resistance uh, against an occupying power. Uh, I do want to point out what Jesus does here, because he does ask the name of this demon, and this is a lot has been made about this. Uh, he didn't do that before, and so people have tried to make this like a um, a recipe for getting rid of a demon. First thing you got to figure out is its name, and, and that has its roots really in the occult. Uh, in, in a lot of senses, there's a sense in which once you know a thing's name, you have power over it. And I don't have power over a whole lot of anything. Uh, Jesus does. And so when I'm involved in something like that, I don't need to know anyone's name. I don't talk to demons or try to talk to ghosts. I talk to Jesus because I don't know what's going on in the room, but he does. And so there, I, I don't think you need to, and we can, you can argue with me back and forth if you want, and I'm not claiming to be right, but I, I will say that Jesus knows more than I do. And I trust my father uh, and, and, and the king uh, to take care of the situation. And so I come in and I, I simply open the door and I preach the gospel and I present the truth and I make sure the word of God is there. But I don't, need, I don't pretend to have magical powers. And I open up my, my demon toolkit and I'm like, oh, this, is, this rose water is from this. I just, I just don't buy it. Uh, but I want you to, to take a look at verse 9. Jesus asks him, what is your name? Uh, and what is the name he gives? Legion. That's a military unit. Uh, yeah. There's a sense in which this, this is not just a group of people. This is a this is a demonic power. The princes of the darkness here. Yeah, we we seem to focus on the number, but that meaning of legion is yeah. a military. This is. I a don't front. think. Yeah, I don't think the number is nearly as because honestly, legion numbers changed from time to time, and mm-hmm. sometimes people died in battle, and you still were a legion but it's always a fighting unit yeah. whose purpose is to hold territory and, and keep going. And says, when, uh, and at uh, verse 10, this is neat. You want me? Uh, anybody will do. And, and, he, <laughs> and he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Why? Mm. Why? This has me confused because if I was the demon... And they moved me out of the county. I would think to myself, one county's as good as another county. I mean, why? Why does this matter? But the demons are begging him. There is a real sense in which they are a territorial spirit. This is their space. Uh-huh. And and I don't pretend to understand it. I'm simply telling you the Bible talks about it. Yeah. And it's not some weird out and left field thing. It talks about it all the time. Mm-hmm. And, and perhaps they would have to um, fight for the new space with their own kind, right? Yeah, I I don't know. Look, you couldn't hold your. Look, you can't hold your own territory. You're not coming in here and taking. Yeah, and you're going to move from. Uh, you know, you change companies. Now you're on the lowdown on the totem yeah. pole. I, I don't know. There's also a sense in which you know, if a legion is driven out of territory, they're going to have to answer to 
uh, whatever that powers was, were higher thought. up. Obviously, yeah. there's some kind of hierarchy. And so if you have to go back to the sergeant and be like, ah, oh, we lost some ground, you think he's going to be happy about that? Like, there's going to be some form of punishment. And it must be severe because they're they're saying, we'll do literally anything as long as you let us stay right here where we are. Yeah, and I, I don't read this as, as just a side issue, that the demon's name is Lee. I don't care about his name. I don't care about the number. What I care about here is the power of God overcoming an armed foe. Yeah. And that's what you see here. There is a man who is involved in necromancy in the caves, who is driven by a demonic power, and the instant that Christ arrives, he surrenders. Unconditional surrender. Begging, you know, just don't send us out of the country. Now, that does give us a glimpse into the demonic mind. Uh, and the, Jesus talks about this quite a bit in a couple instances. And, and, but I, I'm trying to point out here that when people talk about territorial spirits, it's not someone saying, well, that you made that up. The Bible doesn't talk about this. Yeah. It does talk about this. John, I, I can't help but but share this. Um, God really laid on my heart several years ago, uh, Matthew four and Matthew nine, and it's and it's His ministry, and and it's what called me into pastoral ministry. It's it's where I where I heard the Lord's mm. pull or tug on my heart, and it says that He went through the towns and villages teaching in the synagogues. Think about that. Through the towns and villages, yeah. teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all the sick and the diseased. And it, he looks out on the crowds with compassion mm -hmm. and sees that they are like sh uh, sheep without a shepherd. And so then he says, look to the master of the harvest and pray that there would be those that would be sent out into the harvest. Right? right? You know, like there's this, this, this is his way of a grassroots army movement but it's yeah. not it's not a military movement with might and power no. uh, that that we would hold in our hand or have in our arms but it's the spiritual movement of God through his people through through earthen vessels right. for his spirit to go from town to village reclaiming territory that's what i'm hearing today big well, time and i think that's what the bible is saying yeah. <laughs> why didn't jesus just camp out in capernaum and build a great big old church Hire or, a couple or why staff didn't he go members, to, you know, start taking an offering. Like he doesn't do that at all. Why didn't he go to the temple and take that territory more, and send it's out more decentralized? Yeah, yeah. yeah. instead, what you yeah. find is he moves from place to place, delivering the people from the powers that are there, and those powers are still here, and they are trying to grab hold of whatever they can. Their authority is gone, their right to hold it is gone, but their desire to do so is still there. And the only thing that drives it out is the same thing that has always driven it out, and that's the presence of Jesus. That's the love of God. And so, yeah, our enemy is not flesh and blood. It's not another political party. It's not a person of another color. It's not a person of another social class. But all of you are made in the image of God, and that we should love one another and protect one another, and that the church should be... Uh, bringing the world together, regardless of class, color, or interest, that we should be a united people, having been delivered from the God of this world, and that Jesus is the thing that has done that. And so our, our loyalty to the kingdom is what this seems to be about. Mm -hmm. And and I just, I think the church is so busy telling people really weird things when the message is really clear. Just be <laughs> be, be Jesus. In, be in love with Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Uh -huh. And then share that love. And and man, what God has done for me is so much more than I have any right to have. 
so I, I cannot express to you how good God has been to me. And, and I know that if God were to give me what I am owed, that is the worst possible thing that could happen to me. Instead, I have been blessed by the grace of God. Amen. And so there are enemies of God. There are. These demonic beings, I think, are enemies of God. And look at what happens to them. Look at verse uh, 11. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. Now this is the Gentile part of the lake, and so they're, they're eating pigs. This isn't a, a Jewish population. And there's a really big Roman garrison just down the road in a big city not far away. Uh, and so there is a lot of pigs here. Uh, there's about 2,000 pigs. You're looking at uh, like half a million dollars worth of swine here. Uh, but keep going. What happens? So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Did you catch the part where, I know everyone wants to talk about, you know, the pigs are possessed, but did you catch the part where it says he gave them permission? Oh, yeah. What does that say to you? That territory belongs to Jesus now. Yeah, that's he exactly shots, right. right. This is, I will allow it. That's authority. Mm. That's power. That's what Jesus is doing here. Uh, they took us to a place where the traditional site is for this, and then they took us to another place where they think it may have happened. And um, I don't know, there wasn't a sign that uh, <laughs> was authoritative or not. Uh, but uh, we looked at it and we talked about it, but ultimately it didn't matter where it happened, but that it did happen. Now, the ancient Jewish people believed that demons were the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim. That's the traditional Jewish uh, view uh, in the first, uh, uh, the second temple period. Didn't know that. And, and it's kind of interesting because the Nephilim die in the flood. And so what happens to these guys is they also die... In the water. In the water. And so uh, if that is what the demons are, this is kind of, I think, ironic uh, and kind of neat. But uh, we, uh, we were going to look at another one. I think we should probably wrap it up here. I would encourage you guys out there in podcast land uh, to take a look at Second Corinthians chapter 4, uh, verses 3 through 6, and maybe we can get into it on another day. Uh, but before we head off here, I just want to thank you guys for being part of our ministry and um, just to tell you guys that all, all the people here, we, we love you guys. And that uh, we want you to know that Jesus loves you and that he died for you. And that there is forgiveness and there is deliverance in Jesus. And that he is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, mighty and awesome. This is John Dillon, and I'm having problems with the end of my music. Goodbye. <laughs>